in all of my years of public life, I have never obstructed justice. And I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Understanding our democracy, one podcast at a time. This is the show about politics and history. Here's your host, Nate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the show about politics and history. I've been thinking a lot about impeachment for the last few weeks, and it's pretty obvious why. President Donald J. Trump just became the third president ever to be impeached. But what does that really mean? For answers, there was only one person I wanted to talk to. Please hold while I try to connect you. Hello. Hello. Hey, Nate. How's it going? Good. Good. I'm so excited to be on your show. Thanks. This is Leon. So my name is Leon Nafok. I've been a journalist since I uh, got out of college. Um, And I used to be a journalist who wrote articles, you know, that appeared in newspapers and magazines and on websites. Uh, And then a couple of years ago, I discovered podcasting and made a podcast called Slow Burn, which we made two seasons of. One was about the Watergate scandal and Richard Nixon. uh, And the second one was about the Bill Clinton impeachment. And after that, I started my own new podcast called Fiasco, which is what I'm working on now. So what is impeachment? So impeachment is something that the U.S. Constitution says that Congress can do if the president, uh, in their judgment, has committed bribery, treason, or high crimes and misdemeanors. That's what the Constitution says. And so the way it works is, you know how there's two chambers in Congress? There's the House of Representatives and then there's the Senate? Yes. So the way impeachment works is that the House of Representatives takes a vote on whether to impeach the president. And if they decide to impeach the president, um, it's almost like they've accused him, right? They've like made an accusation. So then he goes to trial uh, the same way that it would happen in a criminal case. You know, someone gets indicted, they're formally charged with a crime, and then they go to trial. And a trial, which in the president's case happens in the Senate, senators sort of act as a jury and they decide whether to remove the president from office or to allow him to stay by acquitting him. And so what has happened very recently in our country is that the House of Representatives uh, impeached Donald Trump. They accused him of these crimes, uh, rather not crimes, but high crimes and misdemeanors. They accused him of impeachable offenses, right? And then the Senate had to decide whether to acquit him or to convict him. And that's what's happening right now. And so I think later this week, they're going to vote on whether to acquit him or convict him. So could you tell us about the um, Richard Nixon season of Slow Burn? My parents didn't let me listen to the um, Bill Clinton one because, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, I I get that. Uh, It's a judgment call. You could probably wait a few years before listening to that one. So you want to hear about the Nixon one? Yeah. Did you listen to it? I did. Cool. Um, That's so nice. So what do you want to know? I'd love to tell you about it. But what specifically are you interested in? Uh, just like the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing? Uh, okay, I'll do my best. But you stop me, okay? If you hear something that catches your attention and you want me to focus on it, okay? Okay. So 
the Nixon uh, Watergate podcast was all about a scheme carried out by guys who worked for the campaign to reelect Richard Nixon. Nixon had been president since 1968, or rather he'd been elected in 1968, and four years later he was up for re-election. And apparently he and his aides, you know, his people who worked for him were so scared that he might lose that they decided to hire a group of guys who, you know, ex-CIA types, you know, like people with sort of spy uh, skills to break into the Democratic National Headquarters in Washington, D.C., which was uh, in a building called the Watergate. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. At first, the police found nothing. Then they spied five men crouching behind some desks. One of the suspects, James McCord, operates his own security company in Washington. He was doing work for the Republican National Committee and the committee to re-elect President Nixon. And so these guys broke in and they got caught. And for the next two years and two months or so, Washington was in this state of chaos where the president was denying that he had any connection to these burglars and his advisors were saying they had no connection to these burglars. But steadily, thanks to investigators both in Congress and in the press, uh, it came out drip by drip that, in fact, these burglars had been paid with money that had been donated to the Nixon campaign. The burglars who broke into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee at the Watergate were in effect breaking into the home of every citizen of the United States. And if these allegations proved to be true, what they were seeking to steal was not the jewels, money, or other property of American citizens, but something much more valuable, the right to vote in a free election. Once sort of that became clear, everyone had to look at what the Nixon administration had been saying and doing since the burglary happened. And they realized that these guys had all conspired to cover up their involvement in the burglary. And they lied and lied and lied, and they just did everything they could to obstruct investigations of what had happened. And as part of that, they ended up breaking more laws because things like lying to Congress are illegal and lying under oath uh, and lying to FBI, you know, all that stuff is illegal. So eventually, um, not only did these burglars go to jail, but so did people who had overseen their operation, people who were higher up in the chain. And more than that, people in the administration who had been involved in the cover-up were also in trouble. What do you think that the Nixon administration would have been like if they had decided that Nixon was definitely able to win and that they didn't need to break into the Democratic headquarters? That's a great question. Um, I have to admit to you, I don't really know like the big, big story of the Nixon administration. Um, like I don't, I'm not an expert on sort of his policies or his, you know, how well he was doing. Um, cause when I was doing the Watergate season, I really focused on those two years and two months, but I do think that, um, we can extrapolate from a few big achievements that he had during his first term. Um, you know, particularly like he did this very dramatic thing where he went to China and sort of put out a hand to China in a way that um, was really surprising and was seen as a very kind of statesmanlike and important step forward for, you know, global uh, friendship between the United States and China. Um, what would have happened if he had been able to focus on his agenda and wasn't forced to resign? I don't know. I, I got to tell you, I'm not very good at predicting the future, and I'm really not good at predicting alternate histories. What do you think? I'm curious what you imagine. I mean, 
there's definitely two paths. Like, he decides to just go clean and doesn't obstruct justice. And then there's the path where he does and he gets impeached again. Wait, you think that he could have gotten impeached for something else? Yep. <laughs> it's always a chance. I think that's possible, honestly. Like, one of the interesting things about the burglary was that it was really the tip of the iceberg. You know, these guys were doing all kinds of stuff. So if not for the burglary, maybe they would have done something else. Um, yeah. So right now, as we're recording this, the Senate is just finishing up the impeachment trial of President Trump. How does the current impeachment compare to um, past impeachments? So uh, if you want to compare the current impeachment to the Nixon one, for example, which did, you know, they did start it, but they just didn't finish it because Nixon resigned before they could. There was a real strong belief on the part of the uh, Democrats who were overseeing that impeachment inquiry that in order for an impeachment to be seen as legitimate, in order for there to be any chance of Nixon being removed in the Senate, that there had to be a bipartisan consensus that he needed to be impeached. And so they worked really hard to convince the Republicans in the House to um, to go along with him. Um, and they were able to. But in this environment that we have now, it seems like Republicans are really, really, really loyal to the president. And they don't want to turn on him no matter what. And, and it, it seems like the Democrats have sort of had to decide that, well, you know, there's no evidence that we can really put forward that's going to change their minds. And so they weren't able to get a bipartisan consensus, but um, I think they wanted to go through the process because they felt it was the right thing to do. So that's what I would say. And what are your opinions on the current impeachment? What are my opinions? Um, I think at minimum there should have been an opportunity to hear from some witnesses. I don't know if you've been following this, but yeah. you know there was a decision made during the Senate trial that they would only consider evidence that was presented to them by the House, whereas they could have voted to say, well, we want to hear from other witnesses. And so there was one guy in particular who had worked for President Trump who seemed to have a lot of information that would have been relevant to uh, the accusations that were being made, but they decided not to hear from other witnesses. Like John Bolton? Yeah, John Bolton. Man, you know a lot more than I'm giving you credit for. I just assume... <laughs> You know, I just assume this stuff goes right by you, but yeah, you you know everything. Yeah, John Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard that you've been starting up a new podcast. That's right. Yeah, the new show is called Fiasco, and we made one season on the 2000 election and the Florida recount. Does that ring a bell at all? Do you, do you know about that story? Oh, yeah, like... That's the story where the election was a couple thousand off between Al Gore and um, George Bush. And it was a very close race. So it all came down to the one state of Florida. And Al Gore said that there should be a recount there. Yep. And so that's, I think, the story that you were covering. That's it. That's the one. So we did six episodes on that because there was this really complicated legal battle in Florida over how the recount would be done and what kind of ballots count and all that stuff. And that was a really fun podcast to make. We talked to a lot of interesting people. And then the current one that we're producing for the last uh, five months or so is about Iran-Contra. Do you know about Iran-Contra? 
No. You're not alone. Iran Contra is a very strangely uh, forgotten ordeal. And I'm sure a lot of people would tell me that it's not really forgotten. But the fact is, like, people just don't talk about it very much. It's just not really in the air the way Watergate is. Iran Contra was a um, was a scandal that took place during the Reagan administration from uh, 1986 uh, onwards. I'll just give you the really simple version, which is hard because it's a pretty complex story. But I'll give you the really simple version. One was the Reagan administration uh, really wanted to lend its support, like financial and military support, to these people in Nicaragua who were anti-communists. In other words, they were mm. fighting the communist regime. The Reagan administration uh, also didn't like communists, and so they wanted to give this army down in Nicaragua, basically these anti-communist rebels, they wanted to give them money and weapons and food, um, but Congress didn't want Reagan to do that, and they passed a law that said he couldn't. And so then he did anyway. He like found all these workarounds, like raising private money and getting donations from like Saudi Arabia to pay for the Contra War in Nicaragua. Meanwhile, there were these hostages that had been taken in the Middle East. Um, seven Americans were taken hostage by terrorists. And even though the official policy of the American government was that we do not negotiate with terrorists, we do not pay ransoms to kidnappers, um, Reagan decided to offer the Iranians a bunch of weapons, like big missiles, like millions of dollars worth of missiles. He agreed to sell them these missiles in exchange for the hostages to be released. And it was a big sort of fiasco, as our show is called. And in the end, what it turned out was happening was that people in the administration were using money that was being generated through the weapons sales to Iran and using that money to fund the Contras in Nicaragua. So that's how those two operations I just told you about came together. And it was a big, big controversy. Um, and that's what the new podcast is about. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Do you think that you'll ever do an episode about the current impeachment? I don't know. I've thought about it. People always ask me to do that because they can like hear it in their ear, you know, like what it would sound like for the current administration to be like captured in a slow burn or fiasco style podcast. I'm not against it. I think some time needs to pass. I think part of what's fun about the podcast we made so far is that we have a little distance on the events and, you know, people who are there and who are involved are able to maybe speak a little more freely, you know, and um, they're able to uh, let loose a little bit because, you know, they're not in their jobs anymore. They don't care as much about who gets mad at them. And so it's a lot easier to kind of get people to tell you cool stories if, if it's been a couple of decades. So I don't know. I think maybe uh, in a couple of years, it'd be time to do Trump, but not yet. I'm really looking forward to that season when you make it. If people want to listen to Fiasco or Slow Burn, how can they do that? Oh, so it's a slightly complicated answer because Slow Burn is a free podcast. You can get it on any you know free podcast app that you might use. But Fiasco, my new show, is only available on a subscription service called Luminary. So if you want to listen to Fiasco, you got to get the Luminary app in the App Store and you pay a couple bucks a month and you get to listen to Fiasco plus like 40 other shows that no one else has. So that's how you listen to Fiasco. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. It was so much fun to talk to you. Sorry I assumed you knew less than you do. You know everything. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> cool. Well, good luck with everything. If I can ever help with your future career in journalism, <laughs> you know where to find me. Okay. A few days after this interview, the Senate acquitted President Trump, saying that it's ultimately the voters who should decide if he stays in office. 
All right, that's it for today's episode. The music on this show was written by Sounds Like an Earful. And I put links to Slowburn and Fiasco in the description. And there's a new Slowburn TV series on Epics that's just starting up. I definitely want to watch that. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.